The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I don't think I know. Do I know you? Any of you? (laughs) I know you, and I know you. Um, You look a little familiar. Do I know you? Maybe not. Anyhow, um, I'm David Cohn, yeah. And uh, what I'm assuming about all of you, which is is that uh, we're all here. You're all here for in your own unique way. You're here to uh, be freer from suffering than you are now. A little more liberated than you are right now. which is compassion. So we all share this. This is, it's so human. We all share this human quality of compassion. Isn't that nice? It's like a field, a field of compassion, not just among each other, but You know, with your family and your friends and everybody in Redwood City, everybody, all beings everywhere, poor people in war-torn countries, poor people who are, you know, afflicted by climate floods and heat and But just on a everyday dukkha. Dukkha, dukkha is uh, you all know what dukkha. Do you know what dukkha means? Dukkha, yeah. Dukkha. Buddha said dukkha is a quality of inherent dissatisfaction that human beings have. So all beings have dukkha. All beings want to be free from dukkha, want to be free from suffering. All beings have this, we share this compassion for ourselves, for each other. Not just human beings, all beings. Insects scurry away when they feel your approach. And we also share a desire. It's kind of the two sides of one coin. The desire to be happy. We want to be happy. We want to be at ease and peaceful. Have some sense of well-being. Which is like a quality of love. We have some some intrinsic love 
that wants to be happy, wants our loved ones to be happy, wants our loved ones to be peaceful and at ease. Does that make sense? Yeah. We share this love. Isn't that wonderful? We share love, a field of love in here. We all have this. It's all, you know, in your own way. You're you're all meditating tonight and motivated, or you came here tonight motivated in some way by these, these qualities in you, these tender heart qualities. So I was reflecting as we were meditating. Um, who, who are, well, I'll say me. Who am I? Who are we? Who am I? Who am I? What am I? You know, how did this happen? How did this, all this come about? This. What am I? There's a, a saying by Milarepa, this is a saint, a national treasure in Tibet. He said something like, uh, strong and healthy We don't think of sickness until sickness strikes like lightning. Caught up in the world, we don't consider death until death strikes like thunder. So those are other things that we share. Very soon, I'm older than most of you here, (laughs) but very soon, all of you, you know, it's like, going to get sick, won't be able to sit here and meditate. So, um, that saying, that observation was meant to like, well, let's not waste time here. Let's do what, let's, let's, uh, we don't have much time here. What do you want to do with this time? Do you want to get distracted until you get sick? Do you want to, None of us want to get involved with the five poisons, the, you know, greed and hatred and jealousy and pride and all these things that hurt. We don't want to do that, but sometimes we just, it's karma. We want to, you know, spend this time, maybe, maybe, well, something to think about. What? What really matters to you? What, what do you want from this time? 
honestly, truthfully, what's uh, meaningful to you. The Buddha was amazing. He he had what many people would consider um, the perfect life. He had what many consider he had everything. People, some people would say, you know, according to the human value system, the worldly value system. He had wealth sensual pleasures. His father, um, an oracle had told his father that you're going to have a son who is going to take two two paths, one of two paths. One path is going to be, he will be like you, a great king, with power over many kingdoms, revered, respected, feared by many people, and uh, or he'll become a renunciate. He'll become a sage, a spiritual, uh, a monk, a spiritual seeker. And his father didn't want that. <laughs> so he created this, you know, haven of earthly delights. He, he, he was not exposed to any suffering whatsoever. Even a nice sense pervaded the castle. And music and art and loving family. And, and he was the best at athletics. He was, he was so smart and loved by his parents and had a wonder, he had a family, he had a, a loving wife and I think one son, Rahula, and uh, but then he went into the town, unbeknownst by his father. I forget how old he was, maybe thirty. I don't know, in his late twenties, and uh, he saw sickness. He saw somebody who was. Um, I forget what the sickness was. I forget how that was, but it was clearly, he said what, someone was apparently, very apparently ill and uh, asked his charioteer, what's going on there? I've never seen that before. And he said, well, that man's really sick. And then he saw an old man and what's going on there? I've never seen that before. Well, human beings get old. Then he saw a corpse being carried through the village. What's going on there? What's that all about? Well, human beings die. And then he, he saw uh, a man in, with a shaved head and robes and walking peacefully through the village. Who, what's that? Who's that? And he said, well, that's a spiritual seeker. That's a sage. He... So this this hit him 
this struck struck him deeply that that human beings get old and they get sick and they die and he wanted to he was became obsessed with what is going on here and and, and whatever he was was happening with him before these earthly pleasures these earthly delights and and you know reputation and so forth they paled in comparison to this this question of who am i what am i what's meaningful and um so he left the castle left his family behind and uh wore robes and uh he pursued yogic practices the most strenuous yogic practices that were going on in india the greatest teachers and he surpassed all of his teachers in these yogic practices and still he had no answer to these questions it didn't it didn't really resolve anything and then he uh did concentration practices jhanas and he surpassed all of his masters in these concentration practices and he went you know into deep levels of space and peace and nothingness and he would always come out of those so what nothing's happened here nothing's happened to me i i don't i'm no further along in understanding what's going on here this mystery of finding meaning of finding who i am of what's truly important and then he um he was uh had five friends who were ascetics and they were practicing extreme asceticism they didn't really even want to eat they barely ate and that didn't all these practices all these pursuits didn't bring him any peace didn't bring bring him any resolution and he was so thin he was like a skeleton it was said that there uh, there was a a mustard seed could separate his spine from his belly and he almost passed out by the side of a river i hope this is okay i'm telling you this long story it uh it'll come to a punchline pretty soon <laughs> um so this shepherdess was watching him from across the river and she understood what a great sage he must be you know and she saw him almost die almost collapse by the river like a skeleton and so she she crossed her her name was sujata she crossed the river and brought him a bowl of rice milk and she said venerable sir would you accept 
my offering of some rice milk. And the ascetics were around him and they were just appalled. They would not be drinking this bowl of rice milk, but he did. He said, okay, I will. He, and he, he drank it and he revived a little bit. And then he went over and they left, disgusted. <laughs> and, they, and he went over and sat by a tree. And he gave up. He had just given up on all the striving, all the wanting to become, all the wanting to get rid of. Get rid of negative states of mind, get rid of thoughts, get rid of distractions, get rid of maybe everything, emotions. He gave it up and he just sat by that tree and a memory came to him of when he was seven years old, just an innocent, sitting by a tree watching his father do plowing exercises out in the fields. So this is what I'm getting to. He just gave up. He just sat there and he gave up. Gave up striving. And he just became himself. Gave up trying to become somebody else. Trying to become some goal, some, some, something other, something other than just this. And he became enlightened. Something wonderful just dawned on him. I mean, he had a lot of he had a lot of very positive karma that had been built up that allowed him to have this fantastic experience. But it just it just came over him just this enlightenment just by being himself. And he he said, this is peaceful. This is, he described who he was. Just like this, you know, what he'd been looking for all these, all this time. This is peaceful. Not even me, just this. This is profound. This is natural, he said. This is beyond concepts. Say, so this is luminous. Words like that, you know, who knows exactly what he said, but these are some words that have been passed down. 
And um, he sat with that. He sat at ease with that. There's a story about a rabbi. His name was Zuzia. And he was a great rabbi. He had so many you know, congregants that adored him. And um, he... He would, people would give him gifts and money. He'd give everything. He'd always give everything away. And his, his family was penniless, lived in utter poverty, and whatever anything came his way, he was, yeah. Just a totally kind man, totally good man. And when he was dying, his congregants were all gathered around him as he was dying. And he was crying. And his congregants would say, Zuzia, why are you crying? He said, I'm afraid to go to heaven. They said, why are you afraid to go to heaven? You'll present yourself to God. You've been been as kind as Abraham. You've been as wise and just as Moses. You've been a supreme being. He said, I'm not afraid that God will ask me, Zuzia, why weren't you more like Abraham? Why weren't you more like Moses? He'll ask, why weren't you more like Zuzia? This... um, craving that we have to uh, create some kind of superior self or uh, get rid of inferior selves or, or to adorn this self with praise from others, with reputation, with achievements hoping for all these adornments of a self. I think it's safe to say these are common to all of us. We want to be praised. We want to be liked. We want to have a good reputation. We want to achieve. We want nice things. We want pleasures for this self. All about the self. We don't want to be criticized. We hate to be criticized. We hate to be judged. We judge ourselves. We hate to fail. All these worldly endeavors that have to that that are have to do with a dualistic. Um, perspective, that there's this me and other, and I want this me to be um, acquires, be seen, and so forth.
the problems of the self, the the pain and the suffering around the self is something that's addressed by all Buddha Dharma. It's the problem. The self is the problem. And when Zuzia wanted to be himself, and when the Buddha let go of all striving to become, and Zuzia, all the striving to be like Abraham, to be like Moses, to be like the other patriarchs, just to be himself is like a no-self. It's like giving up. And just relaxing into whatever this is. In Theravadan tradition, it's called no-self. In the Zen tradition or the Mahayana tradition, it's called emptiness. In the Vajrayana tradition, it's called the Dharmakaya. Understanding that we aren't a self. And the more we understand that, and the more we let go of our grasping to self and our aversions to what's not validating the self that we want to be validated, the more we let go of this this kind of dualistic perspective and come back to what is really no self at all. It's like the degree we can do that is the degree that we are relieved of suffering, is the degree that we are happy. There's a a correlation. The less we think about, concerned about, strive about ourselves, the more at ease we are. Doesn't that make sense? So it's like we don't have to do anything at all. Just to be is enough.
just to be. There's a joke. There's this great master, and he was uh, speaking to a large congregation. He was on a platform, podium, or whatever, and uh, giving a speech and giving a talk to his followers and over to his side was the president of the congregation. And he said, my dear, my dear follow, followers, my, my dear congregants, I've come here today to tell you something very important, very profound. And then he started to, to cry. Tears came into his eyes. He says, I have finally discovered that I am nothing. And then he started to cry. And there was silence in the auditorium. People were rapt, just looking, what, what's going on here? And um, then uh, the president walks over to him, and, and he addresses the congregants. And he said, you know, I've been president, your president, for for so many years and I follow the great master and and he said and I too I, I've, I've finally plumbed the depths and I realized that I am nothing and he's crying too and, and people just don't just don't know what to think they're struck and then from the back of the of the hallway in the rear this this old small man who'd been the janitor cleaning up there, taking care of the building for 30 years, 40 years, a long time. He was so moved, and he, and he, he fell to his knees from the back of the hall, and he, he yelled out, I am nothing, I am nothing, I know that I'm nothing. And he was crying. And the uh, president goes up to the great master, and he says, so look who thinks he's nothing. yeah so there can be spiritual materialism as well as worldly materialism but to examine this this idea and I'm not sure how helpful this is to you, but um, this idea of no self, this idea of emptiness, but it's like a, a bit of a scientific proof. We're clearly not our bodies. I'm holding out my hands. If you feel your fingers, you feel the, the, the pulsations in your fingers. The, uh, the body's changing on a micro level. It's just pulsing, pulsing. The whole body is in constant change from microsecond to microsecond. 
the blood going through the system, the digestion of food. On a macro, a little bit more of a macro level, the, the, the breath is constantly changing. We're always changing. Our form is always this body. So we are not this body. I was a little boy not too long ago. Look what, look what I am now. An old, older man. So you're not your body. You're not your mind. Your thoughts are like butterflies, flickering and flickering and flickering, changing every... What were you thinking 30 seconds ago? Just thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. We often think we're, I'm this thought, I'm that thought. I'm just, this happened to me and, you know. But it changes very, very quickly. Even the most stuck thoughts give way very relatively quickly. And the thoughts are tea bags for our feelings. So they change a little more slowly, but what were you feeling a half hour ago? What are you feeling now? And if you listen, what are you hearing? And you can sense the changing. You can't grasp. And, you know, seeing, we think we're seeing something, but really I'm seeing pieces. Just my, my focus is always changing. We're in a state of just complete change all the time. So we're not our sense perceptions, we're not our thoughts, our mental formations, we're not our body. What are we? What are you? This is the question that was driving the Buddha. From a scientific perspective, quantum physics tells us that we are particles. That the particles that make up this this are the same particles that are everywhere. If looked at under a whatever a microscope, mag- super magnifying glass, it's all the same. And what's more, the particles are made up of subatomic, the atoms are made up of subatomic particles that are made up of sub, and it goes on ad infinitum so that you, so that actually you cannot see, you cannot see a particle. And they're moving at thousands, hundreds of thousands of times the speed of light. 
and to add insult to injury, they're 99.999% space, these particles that we are. So in a way, we're like uh, that great master. We are nothing. We are nobody. And we have nothing. Because it's all, it's all you know, changing. So that's a th- very cognitive, you know, that's a thought. But... but But it's it's true. You know, you when we think about this, it's we can we can contemplation is is a uh, very healthy uh, part of our spiritual practice. Inquiry to get down to it. What really is here? Who am I? What's worthwhile? Why am I practicing? What do I want? What's important? The Buddha concludes just to be. just to relax, to let go, to not try to become some illusion that we're pursuing. And just be like space, open, empty, but we are not nothing. You know, we can see and hear and we're vividly, vividly alive, present, wonderful. It's wonderful what we are. We're conscious. As we were meditating just now, I was reflecting on uh, the Buddha described we, well, we have this awareness, we have this, you know, we're, we're conscious. And I was, I was looking, thinking, all of you are conscious. Conscious of hearing, conscious of sight, conscious of thinking, conscious of feeling.
conscious of our... The Buddha named eight consciousnesses, and besides the five sense doors, there was just thinking. And then he had a whole separate category for self, self, me, 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 thoughts and feelings and impulses. The me, the meing, the selfing consciousness. Wonderful, I have this selfing consciousness. And then the afflictions, the habitual afflictions. So this is another, just, just looking, what are, you know, when, today, just looking around, what, what consciousness were you involved with at the time? Were you involved with consciousness of an affliction, like a low self-esteem? Or were you conscious of the breath, sensory perception, or hearing? So we can um, when we relax and be we are also not just empty not just nothing but we are vividly luminous So anybody have any questions or comments, any thoughts have been raised in you? Hold it up. Thank you, David, for the discussion. Uh, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, um, I really like the part where you mentioned uh, what was like our level of, or at least my level of consciousness as I was sitting and meditating. Uh, and it just allowed me to think about. When I am attempting to sit, am I striving for something or am I conscious of the breath or whatever it is that I'm trying to or not focus on? So thank you for helping yeah. me be aware of that. So, you know, it's good to have the, the breath as a support. But not as a goal. Just as a support to be conscious to be aware, a supportive consciousness, a supportive being here, just being, simply, not to be the best, best breath meditator in the world, but just a support to be simple, humble, 
Thank you.